Hello, and thanks for joining in. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we listen to the other side. We try to understand why and how people either move away from or move towards God and Christianity. We want to listen to the lesser heard B side of either non-belief or belief, depending on what side you're coming from. Each podcast will listen to a story from a former atheist who changed their mind and came to belief in God. They know both sides of the story. These stories might look a bit different from different parts of the world, from different parts of Western culture. Today we'll be talking with Daniel Roger, who lives in London, England. He's a former atheist who came to the Christian faith against the grain of his culture. Welcome to the podcast, Daniel. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Oh, good, good. As we're getting started, can you tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do, your life? Sure. So I have a a background as a registered healthcare professional that uh, specialised in working in the operating theatres. And for the last nearly four years, I've been working um, as an academic at a university in London where I I teach. And it also gives me... uh, the time and flexibility to to research and and uh, do research into areas that I'm interested in, sort of usually related to to things in bioethics, so um, abortion, uh, artificial womb technology, and then some other areas kind of related to my more uh, professional area. Well, that sounds really quite interesting, and and uh, with the nature of culture these days, probably quite exciting at times, um, and that. makes me think about just the context of where you are. I know in the U.S. we've been sensing a pushback against Christianity in the last few years, but in England it's been going on for quite a long time. Just to give me a context to your story, can you tell me a little bit about what it feels like in England in terms of Christianity and religion and and those kinds of things? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say in the, in in England, um, it's it it varies in different different parts of the the UK. I guess a little bit like uh, like the US. Um, I'm in I'm in the London sort of, sort of southern part of England, and that's kind of known. I mean, it's not really the Bible Belt, but if we it'd be a much smaller equivalent, more like just the buckle, uh, and that's <laughs> sort of in the south southeast of England. Um, there's more Christians than there is probably in the in the Midlands and, and the North. Um, so, you know, in my own context, it's it's more Christian. There are more Christians than there are probably in other parts of the country. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily know that, um, and that's for you know for for a number of reasons. Uh, one is I think we learn from quite a young age that there's certain things you sort of keep to yourself, and I think. Um, People who have religious beliefs um, kind of know that it's something they can, uh, you know, talk about at home and pray and read their Bibles, but they kind of leave it at home uh, and they don't bring it with them to, to work or to school or uh, wherever they wherever they find themselves. Um, and I, I'd say generally the, the culture is um, apathetic, really, to, to religious belief. I think probably if we go back... 10 years ago, um, sort of high point of, of, of new atheism. Um, it was a lot easier to have 
discussions with uh, about about religious belief, uh, often hostile, but it was at least easier to have those. Whereas now I find, at least in my own sort of circles, that um, it's very difficult to have fruitful uh, discussion about religion, God, uh, Christianity, uh, more specifically. Um, and if you do, often uh, it, it doesn't last very long because people are very uncomfortable uh, talking about those things, really. I think that's a, a gem, general summary. So when you were growing up as a child, it, it may was it different than it is now? Did you have much exposure to Christianity as a child? Was your family Christian? Did you go to church? Were you exposed to it in school? What what what's that like as a child? Yeah, um, I'd say I, I come from, in terms of sort of demographic. Uh, I come from the sort of white uh, working class uh, slash sort of benefits class. So I um, and the thing about white working class culture is that religion plays um, a very very minute part of of, of life. So you won't, you tend to find very few churches, or at least very few active churches um, and where you find the most active uh, Christian faith is in the, in the middle class. So um, in the own, my own sort of context uh, growing up, um, I remember having very, very, very few uh, discussions probably in the first 16 years of my life in regards to uh, religion. I don't remember um, ever really having any uh, very long, serious conversations about uh, God uh, and, and, and none really regard, regarding Christianity. Um, I have a, a, a few things. I remember being in a, a biology class at high school and a friend asking me if I believed in God. Um, and I said, um, I said, I like the idea of God, um, but there's, there's, there's no evidence of, of, of such a, such a being. So I, I didn't, I didn't have any belief. Um, and in, within my sort of own home, so um, single parent household, my mother was uh, didn't have any religious belief I was aware of. Uh, it was never uh, never discussed uh, at home. Um, the only sort of actually, it's quite good to talk about these things. It, it kind of reminds me. It triggers things. Um, yes. Uh, so I, I did have a, a neighbour upstairs who, uh, at least for for some period of my sort of early childhood would read me uh, Bible stories um, so I actually remember one um, actually remember it was a gold it was a gold children's Bible that she would bring down and uh, I remember one of the stories about uh, King Solomon and uh, and the baby um, and threatening to, to tear it in two to try and identify the the true mother uh, who the mum was and um, I remember, I remember that story quite vividly. But other than that, I can't really remember having any uh, uh, Christian kind of discussion or input at all. Um, mm. And I think I've always been relatively honest is that, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I think there can be a tendency sometimes for, for some Christians to, to look back at their own um, views and, um you know, start seeing ourselves as a sort of Christopher Hitchens type figure, um, you know, perhaps be more hostile to it or not. But I, I was never like that. I liked, uh, I would have a hopeful atheist, you know, I would have liked the idea of there being a God. I just didn't have any reason to think 
someone like that existed um, or that it had any relevance to, to my life, really. Yeah, so that's interesting. So you had a, a lack of exposure, really, in your world. It, it, you didn't. You had bits and pieces, pieces, I guess, just dots from your neighbor, maybe a little bit of religious education at school, or yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had we had um, so religious education is part of the curriculum. Um, I think that's an agreement going back sort of over a hundred years when the churches were running the schools, uh, and so when they took that over, um, they they've always had religious education um, in, in in the schools in England. But that was mostly. I mean, I, I just used those classes for messing about. Really, I, I don't remember ever really listening or take, <laughs> taking that seriously. We used to hide under the tables. You know, I was I, I didn't I didn't do well at school. Like I got. Uh, again, being white working class, we're actually, in terms of um, educational attainment, we're the lowest demographic in the UK. Um, the only, actually, no, that's not true. The group, there's only one group below us, which is the Romani travellers. Um, but other than that, we are the lowest um, attaining demographic in, in, in the UK. Um, the least likely to get um, the minimum uh, five A to C GCSE, GCSEs at school. And, and I, I didn't atta- I didn't attain that. I didn't get uh, even five A to C GCSEs. And my my mum never finished school. She got expelled from school. Wow! And just considering how or what we know about you so far, that you work as an academic in a university, that makes me very curious about how you got from A to Z. But I I'm sure we'll get there. But backing up here, when you said you didn't think that there was any evidence for religion or Christianity or anything like that. Evidently there was something about it that seemed attractive that you wanted to believe there just, you just couldn't. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, I don't know. I, I failed to t- take too many, especially atheists, agnostics, obviously not so much, but, but atheists who don't even want there to be a God. I just think that's, I find that very difficult to believe, but I, I can get, I can understand not believing in God, but I find it hard to believe not wanting to believe in God because it, it changes the whole nature of, of existence, that there is, um, you know, that, that, that there is a purpose behind the universe, that there is a, a purpose behind um, uh, why there's something rather than nothing, um, that, that life might have some sort of meaning that's, that's discoverable and 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 make to make you know uh, a life more satisfying to live, um, and that especially sort of I think offers hope for people who have uh, you know very little. I think it's easy to to think like that sometimes if you have everything you need, but for for the vast majority of, of human beings now and, and and in the time past, that hasn't hasn't been the case. Right, right. There are such huge implications for life without God, but um, so many seem to think that they're perfectly content uh, without God, and perhaps they haven't thought through those implications that you just expressed. Um, what back again? Just trying to get into your mindset. If you didn't believe God and uh, that existed, that it wasn't viable enough for belief what was christianity or belief in god to you was it some kind of wishful thinking was it fairy tale myth was it something man made up to soothe those needs that they have inside what did you perceive it to be 
yeah, I, I, I don't even know if I can give an answer because I just didn't give it that much thought. Like mm. I, I, it was literally just no, very rarely entered my consciousness. Like I had no, um, no real interest. There was no one to talk to, no one talking to me about it. Um, mm. And so I just lived, I just, without really giving it much thought. And I think, I mean, there's, there's a benefit and there's a downside that because I didn't have any, I didn't have any, the criticism I had of uh, belief in God, I just kind of absorbed from culture, you know, the things about, you know, the nature of the, the, the degree of suffering, um, you know, especially sort of human, human suffering and, and natural evil and things like that. So I could, I could come up with, it, with objections, but I wasn't really heavily invested in them um, in any sort of mean, meaningful way. I just, you know, I'd have enough uh, to say if someone brought it up. Um, but uh, as, as I said, I think um, I just I just didn't really care, to be honest. Yeah, I, I know that as you expressed in your, your current context there in England, of just not caring about these bigger questions, that there seems to be a bit of an apathy about it. Um, I think that's... That's very, very common. Yeah, you know, it is. And it, it makes it uh, you know, difficult as a Christian now to, to have those conversations because um, I think people do view it as a, as a kind of, um, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's, just, it's, just not, it's just not something that's taken seriously. Um, you know, I think there are, there's so many other views and perspectives that, um, that have more sort of currency and and um, and sort of validity um, and sort of religious belief uh, is is sort of at the end of the line, really. I'd say. Right. So you just you didn't care that much, but you just knew it was not that. Yeah. 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 I just. Yeah. I just. Um, I didn't have any. I didn't have any good reasons to to take it seriously. Um, and to see that it had any, it made any different to any, difference to anyone's life, really. And I think right. um, so. I didn't, I didn't have any strong reasons for it, and I did, but I didn't have anything against it as well. So it wasn't like I was kind of reading, you know, Nietzsche, and then um, you know, before Richard Dawkins, you know, Bertrand Russell, and things like that. I, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't really care enough to to read things like that. I wasn't even aware of them. So it wasn't like I was a sort of um, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't give it any sort of intelligent thought really in a way, either for or against it. I just, I just didn't, I wasn't bothered. I wasn't interested. Um, so it's not like I, as I said, going back, I wasn't a Christopher Hitchens type person. I was just a normal person who didn't care about God and had some reasons to kind of back that up, but wasn't really that invested in it. I wasn't really invested in arguing about it for or against, um, but I think I probably subconsciously um, accepted some of the, the conclusions of uh, that, that kind of follow from that, perhaps, um, in that I just did what I wanted to do, captain of my own ship, um, and just wanted to have fun and and um, be a bit lazy and just just norm, normal things. I don't know at the time. Sure, it seemed normal sure. at the time. Yeah, so it was a bit of a default atheism in a way. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't. I wasn't. So I wasn't. 
agnostic because I could give you reasons. Like I just, I didn't think God existed. Um, I didn't think there were good reasons to believe in God. Um, certainly not any, any persuasive ones. Um, and no one had ever told me otherwise. Right. So you just, you weren't around any good reasons, any good exposure to an embodied Christianity, except perhaps for that, that neighbor who might have introduced a moment of it. But other than that, it seems like it just wasn't in your world. Yeah, I guess I just viewed them as stories. So even when I was you know, being read Bible stories, they're just, you know, like finding out about the Greek myths. It's just, they're just stories that, um, that you're told. And I wasn't led to believe they were historical or, um, or anything like that. They were just, just stories. You know, you get read, I read my children's stories at bedtimes. Um, it's just a, just a story at bedtime about, um, you know, I didn't really give any greater thought, um, than, than that really. They were just, some interesting stories. Right. And, and this was a bit of your attitude until like, how old were you when you began to turn the page or become, or come to a place where you were questioning your beliefs or what happened that made you turn the corner and become open towards God? Yeah. So when I was um, 19, I, my grandparents had become Christians about maybe five, five years earlier to that. And so at the time I was sort of, um, uh, I was going to college. Well, was I going to college? I was, I, I was, I think I was working in a frozen warehouse at the, at the time. And, uh, also would do some sort of gardening work for my grandparents sometimes. And so when I went around their house, they would often talk to me about God um especially Jesus and we were just we were just talking I just if I'm honest I thought they were in a cult I thought they were mad um and often expressed that you know in sort of choice uh, certain lang- course language um <laughs> tell them just to shut up because I just didn't want it I was just sick of every time I go around there, I was like oh just stop talking about Jesus for a while I was doing my head in <laughs> um, so, um, that would carry on for a while, but what kind of started it, I wasn't taking them seriously and I, I would ask lots, lots of questions. I think at that point, kind of looking back, it was interesting now to look back and look at some of the questions I remember asking, you know, about what about different religions, you know, how can, you know, if you speak to a, a Muslim, they'll feel just as strong as you do about, uh, their, how right their, correct their beliefs are. They'll, they might have had religious experience, as you say, you've had a religious experience, you know. So, and I remember asking those types of questions, I think, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about rethinking really about it. But, you know, looking back, I must have given it some thought, you know, in, in, in a way, because I did have, I did have objections and, and questions that I wasn't ready to embrace something unless there were, there were kind of, um, that my kind of answers had, uh, reason, my, my questions had reasonable answers, uh, I think. But I, I definitely remember asking questions about, you know, about evil in the world and suffering, and as I said, different religious experiences, about um, the existence of, 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 of different religions, you know, uh, and they can all be true. So, you know, those those types of things. So I remember asking those those types of questions and things about sex and, well, you know, how can God want you to be with one person forever? You know, that sounds that sounds like madness. Um, and, 
uh, yeah, all, all, all sorts of things like that. I guess were just coming into my head at the head at the time, and so you know, he would they they would try their best to kind of give me sort of answers. You know, some were satisfying, some probably most were not. But what it what it did is it sort of stoked an interest to to maybe think about some of these things a little bit more. You know, as although I didn't do very well at school, it's not. I was never in a context, you know, in my home life that allowed or encouraged me to see any value uh, in, in education, um, in learning, in reading. You know, I hardly ever read books. Um, I, don't, I don't remember having any books growing up, like reading, um, really. So I didn't. I wasn't really in an environment that where I was kind of intellectually nurtured, but I also wasn't stupid. And so um, I kind of thought that if if he's going to keep talking about this stuff all the time, I should at least have a more informed criticism. And so it's really at that point when I started um, kind of taking those questions a bit more seriously, um, thinking about those bigger sort of questions and doing a little bit of sort of you know a bit of reading here and there looking on stuff online going to the library um and so that's inter that's interesting pardon me uh, you you were at first asking questions back to your grandparents it seems like almost in an objective or an objectionable way like trying to disprove it or push back against it because they were bothering you and so you wanted to bother them back with some hard questions but then somewhere along the way, that pushback turned into interest, and then you began a more genuine pursuit of the answers. Uh, would you yeah. say that that shift in attitude or willingness to actually investigate? Yes, yeah, it's, 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 I think part of it was I wanted to prove them wrong, and I think right. part of it was wanting to be more informed about it as well you know i didn't really have i know my, you know my questions were valid they were va they're valid questions they're important questions that anyone should ask um but it's not like i'd read books about that they were just sort of things that as i said i'd either absorbed or you know was kind of thinking those of objections at the time and um i think yeah at some point that shift kind of my approach shifted at some point from just wanting to show them wrong, to show them that they're wrong, to to thinking more openly um, about it. And again, I've never been I've never been a closed mind person. I like you know I've even before I knew G.K. Chesterton, you know, he says that you know the purpose of a of an open mouth is to, to clamp down on something solid, just like a, an open you know an open mind, um, and um so yeah it was it came to a point where i um actually stumbled upon a book in a in a, in a library um uh, which a lot of people i'm sure will be aware of is the the case for faith by lee strobel and i stumbled across that book and if you obviously you're not you know being in england how unlikely that is to happen you know to come across <laughs> a good christian book in a council library is highly mm. unlikely. Um, I'm not saying it's miraculous, but it's 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 
close close to being because there just there are so few good Christian books around, especially in libraries. But I, I, I came across that, and I think it was at that point I thought, all right, well, let's see what they've got, and um, and having a read of that, and that that book was a real turning point because you know although there's there's you know there's valid criticism of that book and those kinds of books. It led me to Christian thinkers, which I didn't realize was a category. Um, to it led me to to read what they were saying, and then you know have have people I could actually read and and listen to, and get a, a pretty um, comprehensive understanding of of Christianity, of uh, engaging with sort of inje- objections that I have had, and. Um, just sort of led me to thinking about Christianity a bit more, a bit more seriously. And I think it was kind of after that that I realised, um, you know, whether it's weeks or months, coming to a kind of point where I sort of crossed a threshold where I think I always explained it as kind of knowing a bit too much to kind of sweep it under the carpet. We're going to take a break for a moment from our story so that I can tell you about the C.S. Lewis Institute Fellows Program. This program is a 12-month discipleship course that focuses on monthly themes related to theology, spiritual formation, and apologetics. Through the structure of a strong curriculum, like-minded community, and a one-on-one mentorship, our fellows encounter a life-changing experience that develops them to grow deeper in their faith as disciples of Christ. The C.S. Lewis Institute is now accepting applications for this fellows program. It is offered in 15 different cities and is for Christians who are seeking to broaden their Christian education and deepen their personal faith. To learn more and to find out if you live in a city where the fellows program is offered, please visit www.cslewisinstitute.org. Now, we'll return to our story. So when, when you were investigating, or you, you saw this book by Lee Strobel, The Case for Faith, that's definitely Christian-oriented, did you take a look at other world religions? Did you compare them? Did, did you want to see if, if uh, Christianity had held a candle to any of these other world religions like Muslims, like you said, that they're very strong in their belief or, or others? How did you narrow it down to Christianity as the one that you were willing to pursue? Yeah, and that's a good question. I remember thinking at the time that I could probably rule out quite uh, a significant number of them, especially those like Hinduism where you know reincarnation suggests I'd get another chance. Um, you know, exploring in the future. So I kind of focused on the Abrahamic face because these seem like the ones that, well, they statistically had, well, although the Jewish faith is quite small, at least Islam and Christianity, you know, have a significant proportion of the population as their uh, alleged adherence. And so uh, Judaism, Christianity and Islam, especially there was those faiths come with a sort of a finality, um, you know, after death, they seem like the ones that should be taken most seriously. So I specifically sort of focused on um, thinking about and reading about um, the, th- the three different Abrahamic faiths. And then once you, you, I guess you settled in on monotheism 
and then you looked at those side by side, and what made Christianity more persuasive as an ideology or a worldview, or that it was you came to a place where you settled on that? Yeah, I think um, I think in terms of um, reading the case of faith and reading some other um, books and and reading some things on online. Um, I'd say the point in which um, I guess it took a, a foothold is when I started reading the Bible. It was the person of of, of Jesus reading the Gospels, and um, you know, God, you know, at the time looking back, you know, spoke to me through through the Gospels, and um, and so I'd say that was the thing that really the, the, the distinguishing factor between the three was. Jesus, I would say. Mm. In terms of what he had to offer in, with grace and salvation, or or did it have anything to do with his resurrection, or the viability of that, or a combination of everything? Yeah, I mean, it's it's what he said uh, spoke to me. Uh, the resurrection, I think, especially after reading the case of faith and reading reading stuff around. Um, uh, like William Lane Craig and and other sort of scholars, um, the, the resurrection I found incredibly persuasive, um, and I I didn't know it was much stronger. Like I kind of thought um, the resurrection would have you know as in terms of historicity and stuff, the sort of strength for those claims would be relatively weak. And they were much stronger than than I kind of anticipated. So I think, um, you know, and the resurrection has been a, a great source of, of, of hope and um, a, a strength and sort of helped me to, um, you know, continue on that on that, that path for, for, for over the last, the last sort of decade. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, the resurrection was, was really key um, in, in that. So... At the end of the day, you you came to a place where you were able to realize or appreciate the fact that Christianity is more than just a story, more than just a Bible story, that there's some kind of historical grounding to these events that are in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the more the more the more I read, I think um, you know, it was a combination of things. It was you know, I think first I had to kind of. Kind of looking back, sort of journey. First, I had to to see that um, that it was perfectly reasonable to believe that God existed. Okay, so that was the first sort of stumbling block. So I sort of remember thinking, okay, well, maybe you don't have to be such a dummy to think that God exists. That was the first sort of stumbling block. I'd sort of got got over that, and then it was looking more at the specific claims of of the main religions, and. Um, you know, I think the, the the one that spoke most persuasively to me, uh, especially at the at the time, was the gospel. Um, the 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 how it, it considered the human condition, my own my own um, you know experience of uh, of the impact of sin and hope and and um, love. And, and resurrection, you know, the sort of biblical themes, um, you know, spoke spoke so persuasively to me. 
um, compared to the other, the alternate claims of, of other religions of, of just where Moses left off and um, the claims made by Muhammad in the, in the Quran. And so, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a mixture, I'd say, um, of, of, um, of, of, of the rational, but, but also the, you know, experience as well. You know, I did have uh, a, a later, and I think, uh, a, you know, a, a religious experience of sorts that, that I think probably pushed, pushed me over the line. So, Daniel, what you're telling me is that I hear that it was, it seemed to be a rationally, historically based kind of religion that seemed to really speak existentially also to your human condition. There was something in it that that drew you. You could see yourself in it with sin, yet hope and love and grace and renewal through the resurrection. Um but you also speak of a spiritual experience. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you have to think as well. I mean, this is why I think um, the, the gospel is such good news and so transformative, especially to people who feel um, that they are insignificant, um, that they feel they have nothing really to, to offer, um, that no one really cares about them beyond you know sort of immediate family is that you know what the what the gospel is saying is that um as you know insignificant as we are as small as we are in the in the in the in the universe that someone created the whole universe um and loved loved you enough to enter it um to live um, among you, to enter the enter the world, um, the human world, um, and there's something beautiful about that. That um, to people who feel like they're insignificant, and that, um, and I think that 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 spoke to me um, in, in in a way as as well. If you, I guess what you sort of said existentially. Uh, but it was also the uh, the rational aspect as well, as especially in regards to to the resurrection. And I think um, the kind of final part of that sort of journey was um, I remember just reading the Gospels and just feeling utterly convicted of of my own sin, of of knowing that I needed forgiveness and knowing um where the source of that forgiveness could be could be found and um and just knowing that i had to repent and that if i asked uh god for forgiveness that i would would i would receive it and i remember you know no shining lights or noises but just a real experience of 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 the depth of my sin but also the the depth of god's love for me at the same time and um i haven't had had anything like it since um but um you know it's always stayed stayed with me you know i bet that was in a sense i mean it sounds like such a marker but it sounds like it was just a bit overwhelming but in a good way yeah yeah it's uh, you know a unique um you know, experience, and I think, 
you know, I, I could be more skeptical of, you know, because I said, you know, people from other religions have experiences. And I think I'll be more, you know, looking back, perhaps I could be skeptical of just that experience. But it wasn't just the experience. It was the, um, you know, it was the different things. It was um, the experience plus reason um, and a rational case for, for God. Uh, it was the experience plus um you know jesus in the in the gospels and knowing um that what he was saying is 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 true and how it makes sense of of things i already know you know it makes sense of um of the sort of the universe it makes sense of um you know my my kind of moral intuitions my knowledge of you know that certain things are, are right and wrong objectively that suffering is uh, is evil you know something that um, you know shouldn't be welcome um that pain is bad that that there's beauty um you know that you know you look out you know a sunset a mountain range there's no reason for have a to have a, a sense of awe from that um and you know, there's there's all sorts of things. I think there's certain things as human beings that we know, and I think any worldview has to be able to provide good answers to what we already know. And I think Christianity does that. Yes, it it seems that um, the Christian worldview, in your mind, and for you, and for your life, and really, I would presume that would you would say for all of humanity, it makes the most sense of reality. Um, of what we know about the universe, about we know what we know about ourselves and our own human condition, and about our loves and our longings, all of those things that that you spoke of, our ability to to understand right from wrong. Um, how long ago was was it that that you became a Christian? Um, so it was about fifteen years ago now. Yeah, so I'm 35 and I was 20 when I, um, when I, yeah, started following Christ. Well, tell me about that. Tell me about how your life has been affected and changed or use the word transformed. How has your life been transformed in moving from atheism to Christianity? Yeah, in a, in a lot of significant ways. I think, um, yeah, certain people... There's only actually very few people that I'm still in contact today who knew me before I was a, a Christian for sort of various various reasons, and I remember you know one of them saying if the of all the people they knew who had become a Christian I would be last on their list, <laughs> and um, you know he meant that quite quite genuinely. Yes, and, I bet they were surprised. Yeah, just just a little bit, and um, so yeah, I mean it was it was definitely difficult to to begin with. Um, just basic things. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I mean, before I started attending church as a Christian, I'd never, I'd never been to a church really, other than maybe I don't remember going for a wedding, or I don't really ever remember going to a church. I remember going to a synagogue and a mosque when we were at school, um, but I don't really remember. I've de- definitely never went to a church service uh, before before being a Christian. I didn't know what to do. It was a whole different culture, um, different language. You know that 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 Christians can can speak. You know their own in-group language, um, and 
I didn't really know what to do with my life. Like I had this, I knew that, that, that God wanted me to, uh, you know, not keep riding my bike, drinking and uh, and just uh, living selfishly. Um, but I also had a lot of obstructions because I didn't do well at school. You know, I got expelled from A-levels. Um, I didn't, at least on paper, I didn't have much going for me at that point. And I remember being at the church where I was part of it, a lot of them, were worked in healthcare and so I decided that well probably led in some way that that you know getting some sort of going back to school and getting some qualifications and maybe training to be some kind of healthcare professional might be uh, a good thing to do and so I went back to, to college I worked night shifts uh, and then in the morning I went to I went to college during the day um and my at the time I was there's some family situation um, that meant it was very difficult. You're quite you know when you first convert you're quite zealous in a um, in a way that doesn't necessarily consider uh, in, in, that inconsiderate zealousness I would say, and um, I think I annoyed quite a few people with that sort of early zealousness and um, I, I regret some of the things I said and did at, at that point not you know not intending you know to, sure. to, to, sure. to break relationships and things but you know just silly things you know listening to Christian sermons loud in the evening when my mum's trying to watch tv and just not really didn't think that it was just didn't really you know and, and other things as well I basically ended up um, it became uncomfortable and no longer possible to live at home so I moved in with a, a, a guy from church um, and I lived uh, on his sort of floor for what so I would basically work night shifts go to college during the day and then go and stay at my friend's house and I did that for about mm. a year I basically got all the qualifications that I needed to to go back to uh, to try and get into university but before that as well I you know I said growing up not not someone who's stupid but just didn't I was never really nurtured um my mind was never really nurtured um in a way and so I kind of I think God just gave me a a love for learning especially reading and I just started reading and I've I've never stopped I've just read all the time I just read 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 also you know in trying to catch up I've missed so much I didn't listen at school um you know my English was pretty rubbish I didn't know how to write an essay um I just I was not a blank slate but I was a poorly developed slate damaged Mm. and um you know God really used you know books to um to, to change that and um you know I'm still learning you know today but um but yeah you know reading stuff like Christian apologetics and philosophy just really start and, and reading the Bible, of course, you know, reading a lot of the Bible, um, just shaped my mind, you know, like Paul said, you know, renewed, my mind was renewed and, mm. um, and I don't want to waste that. And so, um, I yeah went, went to university, um, got my qualifications and I've just kind of been studying and working and doing things, um, since then, um, also, you know, things as well. You know, I never wanted to to get married. You know, everyone in my family was, you know, either a single parent or been married multiple times. Obviously, there was some 
misunderstanding of the nature of marriage. Um, and you know, I was fortunate and, uh, that uh, at university I met my wife and um, you know, we're married with three children uh, today. Well, that sounds like quite a transformation. And obvi- I guess if you're teaching at uh, the university level, then you must have pursued graduate level education yourself. Is that right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm fortunate that in, if, in the UK, um, if you're a healthcare professional, you tend to be, if you go to an academic post, um, very, very few people will have their clinical expertise and also a doctorate. And so um, using the minimum requirement to get an academic job as a, as a healthcare professional is to have a master's degree, plus you usually have to have like sort of five years clinical experience as well. So I have a, I have a master's degree um, from, a, uh, from Hayfield College, University of London in uh, contemporary ethics. Um, and I've since then I've done uh, like a graduate teaching course as well and some and some other small things but yeah I, I haven't I don't have a, a, a doctorate but they tend to encourage you to to get one at some point uh, which I'll probably do at, at some point but I because I've got you know three young children uh, I don't want to I, I don't want to kind of uh, take on too much that will affect me uh, you know, being a rubbish husband and uh, a rubbish dad <laughs> understandable I'd like to take a break from our story to tell you about a special evening coming up for the C.S. Lewis Institute. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Institute, it began 45 years ago in Washington, D.C. in the legacy of C.S. Lewis. Its mission is to develop wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. Despite all that the pandemic has brought us in the past year, we've seen the Institute grow in scope and impact. Part of that is because people around the world are looking for answers to questions that they may have never asked before COVID-19 shifted the ground beneath their feet. These uncertainties open the door for new ministry opportunities, and we are excited to share all that has happened and the ways you can join in. On Saturday evening, April 17th at 7.30 p.m., you'll have a chance to hear more about all of that, as well as listening to beloved speaker, Stuart McAlpine, who is a teaching fellow and pastor in the Washington, D.C. area. You'll also hear from C.S. Lewis Institute fellows who have been challenged and changed through completing the discipleship program, as well as how you can support this ministry. You can attend in person in Virginia or tune in via live stream feed. For more information or to register, please go to www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash celebration 45. Now back to our story. So you obviously love to learn, but you love for others to learn as well. I understand you have a a YouTube channel. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I think during lockdown, due to to COVID-19, it was difficult to have, uh, you know, maintain normal sort of relationships with people. And so uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor at a church in, in Guildford, a good friend of mine, um, we sort of decided maybe to start up a podcast. Or, and um, we like speaking to interesting people and having a podcast is a, is a great way to to get interesting people on the 
and uh, and get to chat to them for an hour or two. And that's that's what we've been doing for the last couple of months now. I think we've interviewed about seven people. Um, we've got get another one coming up tomorrow. And it's just great. It just means that we can contact interesting people and just get to, to chat with them, ask some questions, and uh, and get to know them a bit bit a bit better. Um, it's called uh, Critical Witness uh, mm. on YouTube. Yeah, and it's 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 great. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I look forward to having you you on there at some point. Oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, I've watched your YouTube channel, and it is the content is is very, it's it's excellent, it's stellar, uh, very substantive content. So, I would advise anyone who's listening to take a look at that. Uh, before we wrap up our conversation, your story has been amazing. What advice or what would you like to say to those listening to this podcast who are skeptical about God and Christianity, perhaps those just who've just presumed that atheism is right just because of what they've heard, like you were once, or like like you once did? Yeah, um... I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, if you if you have a Christian friend, if you, know, I mean, that's half the problem sometimes. Is I, I I would imagine I had friends who were Christians. I just never knew. So I mean, one thing as as Christians is to is to to speak to to non Christian friends, and also if you're a skeptic, is you know, if you if you have a Christian a friend who you know is a Christian, is is speak to them. You know, um, if you have got some objections and questions, you know, they'll be. Go, go straight to them. Ask them. You know, maybe they've got, um, you know, some book recommendations, some podcasts to listen to, um, you, you know, videos on YouTube. There's so many resources available now that weren't, um, you know, available sort of 15 years ago. Really, it's amazing content. Um, so that that would be something. Another thing is, um, I also encourage skeptics to to read the Bible as well. I think you know that Christians, you know, especially those who are interested in philosophy and apologetics can often be so quick to go to a book, you know, read Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig or read a John Lennox book or something like that. But actually just reading the Bible, like, um, you know, God can can speak uh, to you and, uh, you know, through through the Bible. You know, he's been doing that for, for sort of over 2,000 years now. And so um, uh, I would strongly recommend that, that skeptics read the Bible you know, wherever you start. But, you know, I, I think I remember sort of starting in the, starting from, from Genesis for a bit, but also just reading the Gospels, getting to know Jesus, you know, through uh, through an unfiltered lens, you know. Um, I think that's important. Yeah, an unfiltered lens I think is a good idea. I think there's so many ideas about what the Bible is without having read it. But for those who aren't familiar with the Gospels, where could someone find those in the Bible? Yeah, so there's New Testament. I usually stay the best, well, not the best one, but I think um, the one I've always uh, enjoyed reading is the Gospel of Luke. You know, Luke was a physician, historian, um, and the Gospel, his Gospel is written, you know, specifically for, for people who, um, you know, don't necessarily have a religious background, I think, you know contrary to something like Matthew. I mean, Matthew's a great, great gospel, but, um, you know, specifically written for people with a Jewish a Jewish background. So I think starting from Luke, um, Luke and Acts, I think, uh, are always places I love to, to recommend people going to. That, yeah, I think that's good advice. Um, and on the flip side, what would you say 
In this culture where there's an increasing pushback against Christians and Christian beliefs, what would you like to say to Christians today, if anything? Yeah, it's difficult. And this is, this is probably one of the questions where I might be the least uh, helpful person. I mean, um, especially if someone is in a- academia and um, you know, it's a very difficult place to be a Christian. I'm not sure I have um, you know, many good answers. I think I, as long as I, uh, I'm always, I'm a natural pessimist, you know, by, by nature, um, a redeemed pessimist. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I don't, I, I just think Christians need to read the Bible more. I think reading the Bible more, I definitely, I need to read my Bible more. I think Christians need to read their Bibles more. I think we need to just get in a habit of, of speaking to, um, speaking to, to people who aren't Christians, just forming that sort of habit of making it more natural to talk about, um, you know, how great the gospel is, how amazing Christ is, um, and that there are good reasons uh, to, to be a Christian. Um, you know, I, I think those sorts of things can make a small difference, I think, especially as I said in the, in the UK. Um, you know, like, like the US, there's different, different places, different cultures, Um uh, I think just Christians need to have uh, a habit of of speaking about their faith more and not giving in to um, popular sort of expectations. Just keep keep everything at home and um, keep the faith locked away. As soon as you you know step outside the door to to work, school, you know wherever you're going, playing football, whatever you're doing, um, to find to find ways of of, of Showing people that that, that Christianity um, shapes who you are and everything you do, and and because um, I think I think one of the most I think common but pernicious um, ideas about Christianity is that, uh, or about you know Christianity belief in God in general, is that it doesn't it doesn't have any relevance. It doesn't it doesn't change anything? You know, I think people think okay, you might believe that. You know, you have a you believe God exists. You believe Christ died for your sins, but what does that actually change? And I think it's so important to show people actually it, it changes everything. And I think um, I think something I get frustrated about sometimes is you know people people see me as I am today. So on paper you think okay he's got um, you know he's married uh, for ten years, he's got three children, um, he's got some degrees uh, he's working as an academic he's published papers and, and academic papers and things like that and you make it people can make a lot of assumptions about about me about my life story about my background about how I grew up and most of them would be false because what they see now is someone who's been transformed by the love of God um, mm. and and but they don't see that they just see me as I am now uh, whereas, like my whole life is, uh, you know, is everything I have is is, but for the for the grace of God. Yeah, it it is amazing how we are so quick to presume and to make judgment without really taking the time to enter into someone else's life story. And I think your advice is is really timely and and necessary at this moment when we're so like you say kind of at the ve- very beginning when you talked about 
in England that religion is private, and we all have a tendency to kind of close our doors and and keep our lives to ourselves, and especially in this day of distraction and technology, you know, during COVID, it seems like everything's just amplified. But as you are telling us, I think it is very wise and judicious to just take the time to get to know someone, whether they are pushing back against belief about God, or whether they have a very strong belief in God. You don't know their story, And you don't know the reasons why they are, what they believe, um, who they are, all of those things. And, And it would be good if we just took time to listen to the other side. And that's kind of the point of this podcast. And I hope that those who are listening really have listened to you. Because you are a life that has been transformed. And it's, for me, a really beautiful thing. So I, I want to thank you, Daniel, for coming on and for sharing your story with us. Is there anything else you want to add to your story before we close? No, I think um, it's, it's, been, it's been interesting. It's been uh, cathartic sort of um, talking about it. And, um, uh, yeah, just really appreciate you having me on and, and wish you all the best for um, your future interviewees. Fantastic. Thank you again, Daniel. Thanks for tuning in to the Side B Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe and share this new podcast with your friends and social network. I would appreciate it. Again, to hear more from Daniel, take a look at his YouTube channel called Critical Witness. I think you'll find it well worth your time as he and his guests think through issues of culture, apologetics, theology, and evangelism. For question and feedback about this episode with Daniel, you can reach me by email at podcast at cslewisinstitute.org. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time where we'll listen to the other side.